This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. And uh, the chief complainer, chief of complaints, this could be your, a good title for you, John. John Syracuse. Hello. You can make me a department, the Department of Complaints. Yes. And I'm, I'm Dan Benjamin. We Together we do this show. And this is episode number eight, right? Yeah. We made it. Big eight. Sure. <laughs> How are you doing? Big, big week for Apple. And you sound a lot better than last time. Do I? I don't know. Maybe I just move the microphone closer to my face. Well, no, I, I meant can... I meant because you're cold. You had a yeah, cold. Yeah, it's still hanging on, but I always take like three weeks to go through these in the winter. You're old, too. That's the other thing. You're yes, very I'm old. Yes, I'm an old man. Incredibly old. Yes. Frail. Good week for Apple today, or this week. Do we, we don't want to talk a lot about that, but we do, we do have follow-up stuff to get to first. Yes. A uh, limited amount of follow-up this time. Just a couple of things. We actually have emails telling us to not do follow-up until the end of the show. Yeah, but that's that's no good because okay. I feel like it has to follow chronologically. That's the whole point of follow-up. Like, you know, if you, you were to listen first. to the shows, listen to the shows end-to-end, you'd hear us say something. And then on the next show, at the very beginning, you'd hear us correct all the wrong things that we said. As the follow-up section is quickly becoming the <laughs> section where we... Uh, report all our mistakes which i think is appropriate for the show yeah so i encourage these if we make mistakes and we certainly do send them in and uh you know we can't get to all of them because then the entire show will just be correcting the previous show uh, and we just try to hit the big ones yeah so this actually isn't a big one but it's a good uh it's a good stand-in it's a cautionary tale uh of things that we shouldn't talk about okay um so this one is <laughs> Uh, in the previous show, we talked about the Thunderbolt port, and at one point, I, I was talking about the difference between uh, copper and fiber optic, and how it was going to be copper now and could be fiber optic later. And uh, I was making reference to the advantages of fiber optics, and I said something that is probably technically true, but it's not true in the way that I meant it, and uh, uh, therefore, you know, it was really uh, wrong, wrong-headed to say it. So I said that. The speed of electrons in copper is less than the speed of photons in an optical in a fiber optic cable. What I'm trying to was trying to say by that badly was that you know here, here's an advantage of fiber optic over over copper. In reality, the advantage has nothing to do with the speed of transport, um, which, if you Google this issue, is a fiendishly complex thing when it comes to electrons in uh, in a metal. Uh, so I've got some links in the show notes that if you're really interested in finding out. <laughs> what does that even mean? What does the speed of electricity even mean about electrons flowing through copper? Follow the links and read until your brain is, is dizzy. But the, the real advantage of fiber optic over copper is that co- electrons in copper are a lot easier to interfere with. It's a lot easier to, to give inter- electromagnetic interference to those electrons with a power line running next to it, or other devices or anything like that. It's much harder, harder to perturb the photons flying through the optical cable. So the, the lack of interference... Uh, allows you to have longer cable runs and not worry about uh, you know, interference from other devices and, and shielding and so on. Uh, so the thing that we should never talk about is science or physics. <laughs> right. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> it's not our area of expertise, despite right. us both having engineering degree. You had an engineering degree, right? No, worse than that. Oh, that's what you guys computer science or no, something. No, we're way worse. We won't even, that's a whole other show. Sociology? Not that bad. I do, <laughs> I do have a degree. Let's leave it at <laughs> that. Right. But anyway, yes, our degrees were a long time ago, and, and I would encourage people to, if they're interested in this issue, because it actually is interesting, to follow the show notes links about the uh, the speed of electricity in a, in a conductor. 
Uh, the speed of photons in an optical cable is a little bit simpler, but I bet if I kept Googling it, I would find that that's also fiendishly complex. So let's not talk about physics anymore. Yeah. No, no uh, physics. Yeah. But, but anything engineering related is okay. Yeah. So here's, here's one that I didn't get to in the last time we were talking about the new MacBook Pros that just baffled me. And I tried to do some research on it this week and didn't come up with uh, anything good. Now, we know that the, the new MacBook Pros are limited to 8 gigs of RAM, and we were complaining about that. It's like, you know, that's, these are such powerful machines, you're going to be RAM limited when you try to do anything sophisticated. You're not going to be limited by the CPU or the GPU. You very quickly, but quickly you'll run out of RAM if you try to load up a lot of stuff. And it seems absurd that these things were limited to 8 gigabytes. But then uh, many readers, uh, readers, listeners, quickly told me <laughs> that the, the issue is that the CPU can't handle more than 8 gigabytes of RAM. Like, it's not Apple's fault. You know, the Intel CPUs that you're using can't handle more than 8 gigabytes of RAM. And sure enough, if you go to Intel's website and look up the exact CPU part numbers that Apple's using, it says maximum RAM, 8 gigabytes. Was that, that, some, was that common knowledge? Like, I, I, that was totally new to me, which shows how little I pay attention to CPUs these days. I didn't realize that the CPU itself was that directly uh, affecting, that it was the limiting factor. I always had assumed it was the, the, the motherboard rather than the yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we always assume. We always assume it's just Apple making a dumb packaging decision or trying to segment the market or whatever. But, but for in, And Intel does that too sometimes. They cripple their chips to make you buy the expensive one. But the yeah. one Apple is using on its very best, you know, 17-inch top-end thing, it, that's like Intel's best mobile part. So it doesn't even make sense from a, a market segmentation thing. I don't think there's some better CPU that Apple could have used that, you know, Intel is intentionally crippling the other one. So I don't really know what the issue is. And I asked around and no one had any good theories. And the, the product page at Intel, what the heck does it say? It says uh, maximum RAM, uh, uh, max memory size, 8 gigabytes. Then it has in parentheses, dependent on memory type. So maybe it's just a number of DIMMs that it can't handle. If we had bigger DIMMs, it could support more. Obviously, the, the CPU can support way more than that. I mean, I'm sure there are at least 40 address lines on the thing. Yeah. And, uh, I think 40 bits is more than 8 gigabytes, although someone can correct me quickly if I'm wrong. But uh that seems crazy to me, um, but I'm glad to know that it's not Apple's fault. Uh, I just hope that things get better in the next round of laptops. All right, and one more quickie. Well, we were talking about the the line stuff with the server edition, and and I mentioned you know what, what kind of families you know for home use. Who's yeah. going to who's going to need a wiki? Yeah, we got a, we like got that, a nice but, couple of people wrote in, and I know yeah. where you're going with this. And we just, both of us completely forgot about the market that, that is not business and is not like a, you know, a place where you want a server OS, but that is also not the home where you might want something like that. And that's education. And Apple sells a lot into education. And you can imagine in education, you know, there's not sysadmins around. It's not like a business where you have this sophisticated IT department, but people do want to run things like, you know, a, a department wiki or whatever. Yeah. And having a nice friendly GUI to do that and Mac OS X server uh, would work for that. So, yeah, I always forget about education, but people who work in education uh, are glad to see Apple doing anything that is uh, remotely helpful to them. Yeah, we must, I've, we must have at least one or two listeners in education, I guess. Yeah, and especially with the iPads and everything being used in early education and stuff now, I think Apple Apple's dedication to education, it, it's wavered from time to time, and if you talk to people in education, they'll have plenty of complaints about Apple, but it's nothing like... Apple's dedication to uh, enterprise business, which has always been a kind of half-hearted, cruddy, on-again, off-again, and now seemingly permanently off affair. Yeah. Apple's still heavy into education, and they want to continue to sell there. So that's all my follow-up I've got. Not bad. Yeah. Eight minutes, 30 seconds. Not, not, nothing to complain about. 
pretty good. Yeah, and, and the other two topics we have for today, we're going to start with a little bit on the iPad 2, but I think you've covered that in a lot of your other shows. I just have a few things to add, and then we're going to go on to the Apple strategy tax, right? Well, first question, and this is something we may have covered, but it's worth asking again. Do you have an iPad right now? Right now, no. Why you, would I have one now? No, because you bought one before. Oh, iPad 1, yeah. You do. You have I one. forgot. No, I do not have an iPad 1. I, oh. That thing is dead to me. <laughs> well, I didn't know if you already owned one. Are you getting? No. A, are you going to get a new one? Yeah, so I intentionally did not buy the iPad 1, not because I didn't like it. I loved it because I'm, I'm a really heavy iPod Touch user, and I would love a bigger iPod Touch, and the iPad is a lot like that. And certainly I have used iPads, and I would have loved one, but... Well, there's two things that kept me away from it. One was just the general first-generation jitters, you know, when you just don't want to get the first rev of something. You rather I thought that was just with one. the car. I didn't think that affected computer stuff. It does. Stuff too. Like the, if you got the first MacBook Air, you fell victim to this. If you got the first, uh, you know, dual G5 tower like I did, you fell victim to this. There's always some little issue or problem, or sometimes the things are just fundamentally flawed, and the revision two is always much better. But the iPad one was a great product. Except for one thing that bothered me, and, and was that was its lack of RAM. Uh, it's not that's not entirely what stopped me from buying it. It's not like oh, it was too little RAM. It's never going to be useless to me. It's mostly just I wanted to wait for the second generation one. But the lack of RAM really bothered me because they had just released the iPhone four with five twelve megabytes of RAM, and then they released the, the iPad with two fifty six, and that seemed like a slap in the face. Um, and it was kind of okay until iOS four came around. But then you had sort of, you know, the mandatory multitasking. And now you're multitasking on this big honking device that has half the RAM of someone's little phone. Mm. That just doesn't seem right to me. Um, so I'm hoping that the iPad 2 has at least 512 in it. Um, yeah, that, we still haven't thing. seen. I haven't heard and I haven't, I haven't heard anybody. Now, Gruber may know this and we're doing a, we're sh- we're doing a show later today. So the answer will, he, he may know because he asks those kind of questions. But I, I haven't read anything from anybody who's had hands-on or a chance to actually talk to Apple about the RAM, but it's got. I'd be surprised if it's five twelve. I think it might be a gig. What do you think? What's your prediction? Let's not get greedy. Well, the the thing about Apple and the RAM on these things, it, it's so stupid because, on the one hand, Apple will, if you ask an Apple rep, they'll tell you that that's not a spec they're t- interested in talking about, and it's really the experience, not the specs, and blah blah blah. I can't believe uh, Steve actually brought out the speeds and feeds phrase, which yeah. is just you know how many people in the audience even got what that was in a reference to. We had to go to the Wikipedia page to figure it out. Uh, but yeah, it's like, oh, we don't want to talk about specs. It's all about the experience. But then they spend three slides talking about the, the CPU and, and one gigahertz dual core, blah, blah, blah. We don't care about that either. If you're going to go on the tech specs don't matter, don't talk to us about tech specs, right? But that's not the pointless part. Fine, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to say, well, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the CPU, but we're not going to talk about the RAM. At least bury it on your website in like a spec sheet somewhere so we can look it up. Because it's not like it's going to be a secret. The second one of these things is purchased by anybody, it'll be torn open. Someone will look at the chips and say, okay, on March 11th, we will know how much RAM this thing has. Yeah. If I fix it. We'll t-. So you're not keeping it a secret. And it's also not keeping your competitors from doing that big checkmark grid that uh, Marco hates where they do the, you know, how much RAM or, you know, more than whatever amount of RAM and you get a check mark for here, they're going to list Apple's specs on their sheets anyway. They're not going to avoid talking about the amount of RAM the iPad has just because Apple does. So it's just silly. It's, it's like a childish game. It's like, we don't want to talk about the RAM, so we're not going to tell you. Well, you know, you have to wait till March 11th <laughs> to find out. Whatever, fine. We'll wait till March 11th to find out. Um, 
if it's one gigabyte, I'll be pleasantly surprised. I'm assuming it's 512. It's 256, which would not shock me, by the way. If it's 256, I will be annoyed. Um, but not but, shocked? Uh, I'll be a little bit surprised and I'll be annoyed, but probably still be getting one. Now, we're, we're planning to get two because my wife refuses to share with me and we both want iPads. Right. And I've been making her wait for an iPad 2 for such a long time. And now I think she thanks me for that because uh, the iPad 2 is so much nicer than the iPad 1. Um, but I'm probably going to see if I can hold out until fall to see if the Retina iPad 3 or iPad 2.5 or whatever ever materializes. If it doesn't materialize in the fall, I'll probably just get myself an iPad 2 around the Christmas time period. But my wife cannot wait, and she's probably going to buy an iPad 2 now, and I will try to use it as much as she'll let me. Well, last time you said you were the one that bought all the technology. Well, you know what I mean. She's... She's going to get one that's going to be hers, but we're consulting now on which one is it going to be, what color, what specs. Uh, that's another reason that I'd like to wait is I'm annoyed by the 3G being two different models instead of one. So um, maybe she won't get the 3G. Maybe I'll be the one. We only really need one 3G model in the house probably, so one of us has to get the 3G model. Maybe if I wait until fall, there'll be, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to wait a little bit longer because I think I can wait, but she can't wait, so she's going to get one. Still oh, haven't yeah. I can't seen one in person, so I'll be getting one. Yeah, it's a, it's you know it's a good update. I don't even if it has two fifty six megs of RAM, it's still a good update just because it got so much slimmer and nicer, and they sorted out the the cover business. You see, for me, the last time there was zero there was zero debate and zero question as to which one I was going to get. For me, it was clear I was going to get the the cheapest entry level Wi Fi version, sixteen gigs, and having actually used it now for a while. I, I realize there are situations where I might want some more RAM, and uh, the, the tricky part is really whether or not to get the 3G or not, because they have tethering now with you know, with an iPhone. So I could always just tether it with the iPhone. Do I really need it to have its own 3G? If I had an iPhone, I wouldn't get this 3G model. Because yeah. th- that's a double whammy. It's the, you, you've got tethering, and you'd have to pick which network um, you wanted to be on. I, I, I don't see the point. Plus, they, the lowest end one is always the best deal. That smallest possible one you can get in terms of bang for your buck is always the best deal. And they just crank that the price up by $100 at each increment for no good reason other than 100 is a, is a is a round number. And the profit margins just go up and up for those ones, you know? So if you were shopping on bang for the buck, you would get the lowest end one. But yeah. what it comes down to is if your music collection doesn't fit in 16 gigs or you have or a certain number stuff. of TV shows or yeah. movies that don't fit, you just got to get the 32. And I guarantee you that that 32 gig one does not cost them $100 more to make than the 16 yeah. gig one. But you know that's how they make their money. Um, so we'll probably end up getting something in the middle of the range, um, probably the Wi-Fi only, but we'll see. The real, the real issue is black or white. That's the tougher call. Oh, really? Because, well, for your wife, she should get the white one and you should get the black one so you can tell them apart. I don't think that'll be a problem. We can tell them apart. But we'll get different color color covers or we'll see if we even use a cover. But uh, my initial inclination, having never seen one of these things in person, is that uh, I'm leaning towards black simply because the white will reflect more light back to your eyes and make the screen appear dimmer. So, you know, go with the black. Yeah. But I haven't seen these in person, so I can't say. Maybe the white looks super cool and I'll want to get that. Or maybe it looks cool with the cover. I don't even know if I'll like the cover or whether I'll use it. Um, 
I have to talk about the cover in a little bit, but first I want to talk a little tiny bit about the CPUs in there, since Apple spent all these slides talking about its A5 CPU and its dual core and this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I actually looked at the Wikipedia page to put a link in the show notes, and already the Wikipedians have uh, decided what the A5 CPU is, but Apple didn't say what it is. Now, all Apple said is that it's dual core, it's twice as fast, uh, it's low power, you know, it's got a much better GPU, blah, blah, blah. And everyone just assumed... Uh, uh, that they knew what model it was. Now, this is confusing with the CPUs. That the, the CPUs that Apple uses are ARM CPUs, and ARM doesn't make CPUs. They just make the design for the CPU, and they give their designs names. And their names, they use the Cortex brand. Their names are Cortex-A and then some number for, for their, some of their popular products. So the Cortex-A8, that core is used in Apple's A4. So talking about these CPUs is a pain because Apple uses A in a number and ARM uses A in a number, but the numbers don't match and really have no relation to each other mm. other than the fact that they increase supposedly with power. So anyway, the Apple A4 is the Cortex-A8, that design. Now, ARM also has a design that's dual core. They have the A9 multi-core chip. So when Apple says, we've got a thing called A5 and it's dual core, everyone just assumes it's an A9 in there, an A9 core. That's probably a good guess. But I was talking with some uh, folks at ours about it, and there were some dark horse theories that maybe it's not an A9. Uh, and there's a couple of good reasons that it might not be an A9. And that what instead it might be is two of Apple's A4 cores. Sorry, two of Apple's A8 cores from their A4 chip shoved together uh, mm. with better GPU and stuff. And the right. reason I think that might be is because if it was an A9, it would be more than twice as fast. And surely if it was more than twice as fast, Apple would would talk that up more because the, the A9, um, I don't want to go too much into CPU stuff, but the A9 is an out-of-order uh, core and the A8 is an in-order core and out-of-order lets you reorder instructions for more efficient execution. Uh, that's going to be more than 2x as fast because each individual A9 core should be faster than an A8 core at the same clock speed. Uh, the second thing is that the A9 clocks higher than the A8. The A8 tops out, I think, around a gigahertz or something, maybe goes a little bit over, but the A9 can, can clock up higher. Um, and the fact that it's clocked at one gigahertz, Apple's A5 is clocked at one gigahertz, uh, that's within the ceiling of the A8 because their A4 chip was also uh, clocked at one gigahertz. Uh, and they also say it has the same battery life. And certainly they didn't make the battery bigger in this thing, right? I mean, it's the skinny little wafer. Uh, maybe they even made the battery smaller. Who knows? But it doesn't seem like it could possibly make the battery bigger. Screen is screen is a little bit smaller. Did you notice that the iPad two is a little bit smaller than the uh, the iPad one? I did, but I wasn't sure if it was because the screen was smaller or yeah, if it was the, because the, the edges the the border was smaller. Yeah, it's hard to say, but but either way, it seems like there's nothing in the iPad two that would account that, that would use less power. Than right. The it's iPad. if anything, it would use more. It seems. Right, and it doesn't seem like they can have a bigger battery, but they're saying the battery life is the same. So how could you do that? Well, you could do that if your if your A5 CPU was two A8 cores, one of which is off most of the time, because in these dual core mobile chips, you know, they, they always turn off the other core when it's not uh, in use. And people and it are, seems people like are debating A9. this in the chat room, John. They're saying some people are saying the battery is much bigger, and somebody else saying how could it be bigger? So I think we will have to wait. We will yeah, have to I wait mean, for it, the teardowns. It really depends on what is inside there. You could redistribute that volume to make the battery larger in height and width, but not as deep. Uh, I don't know, but there. are they're interesting, and the, the, the final thing that makes me lean towards this theory as plausible is that Apple is really conservative with its CPUs and its mobile devices. It's not interested in, you know, it doesn't talk to the vendors and say, give me the hottest chip that you've got, the fastest, the best one, so we can brag about our CPU and say it's really super fast. 
because Apple's number one concern is battery life and, and uh, you know, power consumption. And especially on the iPad, where that's their big selling point that they hammered home. Ten hours, you know, the iPad's got great battery life. Those Android phones, those, they run out. Our iPhone 4, the battery lasts all day. You were talking about this, in, I think, yeah. in the last talk show. Yeah. That's a big selling point for them. And they're really conservative about the CPUs. It's pretty much power consumption over everything. Um, so even though the Wikipedia page definitively says the A5, Apple's A5 is, is a Cortex-A9 uh, core, a multi-core, uh, you know, dual-core CPU inside that package... Uh, I think the jury's still out, and we'll just have to wait until I fix it, tears it open, and sees what they can see. The, the weird thing about these things is that Apple's A5 is the name for its system on the chip. Inside the system on the chip is a whole bunch of stuff, You know, one portion of which is the little CPU core thing. Uh, so this is the GPU in there, and the memory controller, and all sorts of other things. Right. Um, so it's really not a one-to-one comparison between you know, the A5. Apple's A5 contains possibly two A8s or possibly a single A9. Too many A's. Very confusing. But uh, that, I think that's an interesting mystery about the uh, the CPUs and these things. And the, the last bit on, on the iPad 2 is the smart cover business. Yeah, what do you think of that? So having not used one in person, it's hard to have an opinion one way or the other about uh, its utility as a cover. Obviously, the, all the stuff that they talked about seems good. You know, it's smaller, it's lighter weight, the magnets are neat. I the magnets Apple have, has used on the MacBooks and everything have generally improved matters. I like MagSafe. I like the fact that it closes with a magnet instead of a little button. But I kind of, when I saw that cover, I kind of envisioned like the the next round of Apple product flaw stories. You know, like after Apple has anything nice that comes out, you get the usual spate of fatal flaw in Apple product sensational stories that go through the web in little cycles. Like mm-hmm. you had the glass shattering, you got the, you got the antenna thing, which is like a uh, was a big one. On, on the smart cover, I just I just see like when when do we see the round of stories about people scratching the glass because they dragged the little metal magnet parts across it? Maybe Apple was smart there and made it out of a metal that can't scratch the glass that they used. Uh, I can see people accidentally trying to lift their iPads up by the cover and then the magnets coming undone and then mm-hmm. the iPad tumbles to the ground and cracks. I can see the cover sliding off when it's in a backpack, you know. And you take it out of the backpack and it ends up the two things have separated because the, the the friction slid them off and the screen got scratched. None of these things would really be a fault of the cover design per se, but since it's Apple's cover and since it was heavily marketed, if, if anyone has any sort of problem, whether it's their fault or not, you're going to get these little product flaw stories. Um, and I worry about it a little bit too in terms of uh, my personal use because uh, I think as we discussed in a previous show, I don't so much want the screen to be covered although that's nice, as I do want the slippery back to be less slippery. And the back of the iPad isn't as slippery as the iPod Touch. It's not a mirror finish, uh, but it's not as grippy as a piece of silicon. So maybe I'll invest in some sort of like rubber wrapper thing. Yeah, they sell those like the eye skin type things that you can... I've never used one of those on an iPad, but I I know that they make them. They're very, very thin. Yeah, they don't they don't add too much weight, and they make it super duper grippy. Uh, and I actually like that that feeling of grabbing the thing and having it be that silicon rubber that grips your hands. It just feels more secure than this kind of slippery uh, thing. And maybe maybe they'll they'll sell ones of those that still leave the little magnet parts open for the cover on the top, and then I'll have a sort of a combination effect. I don't know. Uh, anything having to do with covers and stuff, you really have to get it in your hands and decide what you want out of the cover, the cover experience. But but I give the, I give them props for. <laughs> for thinking about the issue and making something neat. And I really hope they don't get buried in silly stories about product flaws. 
People are asking if, if having a battery inside of the iPad makes it a risk around your electronic equipment, your discs, your uh, credit cards. Having magnets, you mean? Yeah. Uh, no, those magnets are, the, you know, it's the inverse square law. I was about to do physics again, but I'm going to stop myself. Uh, I'm going to say that the magnetic field <laughs> you drops can be, off. You can't resist. The magnetic field drops off very quickly with distance. So, no, I wouldn't think that there's any issue. And especially since we don't have floppy disks anymore. Those are the real culprits because floppy disks, you had a magnetic media that was separated from the environment by a little thin piece of plastic. Uh, and if you got a magnet touching that, like laying on top of it, you could uh, do some damage. But all of the magnets in modern computers, all the magnetic components are basically inside the hard drive. I guess the speakers, but you can't damage those uh, that badly with the magnets. But you can't get, you can't really get... Uh, uh, a magnet close to a hard drive platter because inside a metal case it's sealed and the magnets in the iPad have to be pretty wimpy. Uh, so I would not worry about the magnets in either the case or the iPad messing with things. Maybe your credit cards and your wallet, if you have your credit cards loose in a bag with your iPad, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can think of scenarios where it could possibly happen, but they're pretty obscure. Um, yeah, and I do I do think they are probably strong magnets in there. They're, you know, maybe those little rare earth magnets, you know, those little things. They're tiny and have small mass but great magnetic power. But these are small magnets, and I think they're especially since they have magnets on both ends. They're they're uh, it's not just the inner magnets that are holding a metal thing to it. They've got two magnets uh, connecting to each other, so that gives them most of their strength. I was saying uh, on Twitter the other day that I thought they were probably. Uh, Apple has special magnets. They don't just have regular magnets. In fact, they, they've embedded magnetic monopoles in both the, uh, the case and the, the iPad itself. But no one got that joke. And it's a physics joke, and I shouldn't be talking about it, so move on. You don't explain it here? No. You can Google for monopole or magnetic monopole if you want to try to get that very bad physics joke. I'm going to add it in the show notes. Uh, Google it yourself. All right. There is a Wikipedia entry. Of course there is. It, so, is, I, it I, is about I, physics. Yeah. So you should I'm, do a physics show. Physics is interesting. Get someone who knows something about it. Yeah, you, you and maybe one other guy would listen. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so what, what's the main topic then? Oh, and by the way, so you are going to get, your wife is going to get one. You're going to hold out to get one until maybe. As long the, as I possibly can. Yeah, maybe maybe even September when, I, you know what, I think you're in the minority there because the idea that there will be a retina version of, of the iPad 2, it, it's speculation. It sounds good. Well, it's going to happen. It's just a question of when. And, you know, is this year, next year, year after that, it's going to happen, guaranteed, right? But uh, it's just a question for me personally. How long can I wait? If, can I mooch off my wife's iPad to satisfy myself? And how often I, do you think she'll use it? I don't know. This is, this is an interesting theory. Of coming, you know, we're an iPod Touch house, and we have the things, you know, sitting on end tables and on mantles and on arms of sofas, and a lot of those places are just not big enough to put an iPad on. So it'll be interesting to see if the, how the iPad travels around the house versus how the iPod Touches travel around the house. You know, Marco was saying that the iPad is never where he wants to be or where he is, but he's always got his iPhone with him. Uh, you know, so we'll see if... That turns out to be the case for us as well, where the iPad is always upstairs or downstairs or in the other room, but we have the iPod Touch with us. You may find that you guys actually watch a lot of shows and stuff on the iPad itself. Yeah, I think my wife will. I mean, she, she's uh, watching shows on her iPod Touch now. 
you know, just holding the little things up to her face just because it's more convenient or she likes to just lay in bed and watch it and we don't have any way to get HD shows on the upstairs TV and blah, blah, blah. So she uses the little iPad. So iPod, the little iPod touch, so the iPad will be a huge upgrade in terms of image fidelity and size. Uh, although the uh, the Retina, she's got the new uh, iPod Touch. The Retina display on that uh, actually makes video look pretty good if you shove it really close to your face. So you can, you know, get actual HD or close to HD quality on that tiny screen. So that's it for the iPad. I'm getting one, but, y- you know, I'm still up. Not sure. Which one do I get the Wi-Fi? I probably will just get the Wi-Fi, but I might, I might have to go for the 32 gig because after having an iPad with 16 for a long time, I actually have run into a situation where, especially when we're, you're, we're going on a trip and we say, you know, even if it's just a weekend thing, you say, we're not going to bring any laptops, not going to bring real, you know, traditional computers, just throw the iPad in and that'll have our shows, shows for the kid, you know, whatever else. That's when you kind of run into that and you say, oh man, we are kind of, we need to make a decision. If, if you have 16 gigs, you need to make a decision as far as what content you bring with you. And if you, if you have 32, the decision, you could kind of stave that off for a while. Yeah, we found that too. Like when we go on plane flights, we always bring shows for the kids and movies and stuff like that. And to prep for those when we were doing it on the 16 uh, gig uh, old iPod touch we had, we'd always have to delete stuff. So let's go through the purge and delete yeah, a whole bunch yeah, of yeah. stuff to make room. And, and with the 32, we don't have to do that. Uh, maybe we'll outgrow that eventually. But I, I would say definitely stay away from the 64 unless you really, really need it because that's 200 bucks premium over, that's the, a lot. over the 16. And that that's a lot. It's getting crazy. Now, I thought it was interesting. You were, you were mentioning one more thing we'll mention is on some of these shows where we do video, uh, it would be really, really cool to be able to, and we've struggled with the, a good way to do this, but how do you demo an iPad or an iOS app? You really can't. You really can't demo it because it involves having a camera like over your shoulder and there, there's glare to deal with and other things. And the new iPad 2 has an adapter that you can plug into it that will allow for mirroring from the iPad 2 screen to HDMI. Now, in, in our case here, we do a lot of HDMI capture already, so this just, just becomes another HDMI source that we can plug in. And uh, and and uh, unless they're doing HDC... Well, see, I don't even think that kind of thing applies here. But in any case, it allows us to plug it in and use that as a video source. And you had said, oh, well, I'm reading that the adapter has compatibility with the iPad 1, and as well as with the iPhone 4, and it does. But this compatibility apparently does not allow video mirroring. It's only for apps that support video out. So uh, Keynote and certain games and other things that allow you to output it to a screen, uh, you can you can use that, but you can't actually mirror the entire screen itself. And, and so now I've got to get an iPad too. That always bothers me about Apple's wall of silence thing that they do. Because if it was another manufacturer, like say it was Microsoft, you could ask them straight out and say, so I noticed that your adapter doesn't let, allow mirroring on the iPad 1. Is that because the iPad 1 lacks the circuitry to do mirroring, which is perfectly plausible, that that, that, that could be possible? Yeah. Or is that because you, know, you just don't want to backport the feature? Is it a software issue? Like, Give us a reason. Apple will never give you that reason. You know, no matter what the reason is, not because they're nefarious or because they're trying, you know, it could very well be that this is simple electrical impossibility on the iPad one, but they won't even tell you that. Yeah. They just 
their policy is nothing. So that when they do screw you, it's the same answer as when they were just doing something that they had to do because of a physical impossibility. Well, and again, this goes back to how they are actually, whenever we see an iPad demo that Steve Jobs or somebody else is doing, and I haven't, I would have to go back and watch because I can't remember, but I thought I remembered shots, not just of Steve and, and the, the other Apple people using the iPad, but I thought I remembered them actually capturing the screen and showing what was on the yeah, screen as well. They've been doing that since the iPhone, the original iPhone. That's right. Always, always Apple has direct capture, but that means nothing. That doesn't tell you anything about it because I remember on the, the, I think it was the original iPhone, Steve made some little offhand comment and said, we've got a special cable here that lets you see the screen. You know, is it a special cable? Is it a special iPhone that supports this? Apple can make whatever the hell iPhone they want. It could be a prototype with the circuitry that allows well, them and to that, do that. that. So that's what I was going to ask you is, it, can you speculate on why you think they do it? Is it, is it something that that is uh, unique to the particular iPads or devices that they're using, or do you think it's a special cable or, or, or what, or do you think it's I, I think, something I think in it's the like, system with no information? Since I don't have any real information, I think it's 50, 50, whether it's a software or a hardware issue that they yeah. can't do it on the iPad one, because uh, it's clear that for the longest time, they just didn't think uh, mirroring the, the display was important to anyone except for Apple themselves. Yeah. They're like, we're Apple. We need to do these demos on screen. Obviously we're going to build us some way to do it so we can make our little demos. And they did. But they didn't, it didn't seem like it was important to customers. And now, of course, the education channel in particular and probably lots of other people who do, you know, uh, uh, screencasts and stuff like that communicated to Apple that, yes, this is very important. We need to be able to show the screen. So they built the feature into the next model, which is fine. Um, but the backporting thing is it's 50-50. It could be that they just those, – those wires don't come out the, the, the port. There's no way to get that signal out the, the, uh, the dock connector without some special chip that Apple doesn't put in the shipping versions. Or it could be that it just can't be bothered to backport it to that older hardware or there were some sort of bugs or glitches. There's so many reasons that they might not want to do it. Some of them are – and some things are outside Apple's control. And they're just not going to say anything about it, so you just got to deal with what you got to deal with. Right. Buy I, yourself I, an iPad too. My gut feeling on it says that it's not something specific to – uh, to the software, because the only real reason I could think to do that would be to say, oh, well, if you want this feature, you've got to get an iPad 2. And I, they've brought enough back to the older models when they do updates to iOS that I I just don't know. Well, I'm they sure. have been, I think they've, I feel like they've been abandoning and abandoning, you know which word I'm trying to say, the older iDevices faster than they have older Macs, because mm. I've got this series of iPod touches in the house and I won't even be able to run 4.3 on my iPod Touch, which is just right. basically one generation ago. Can you imagine if you bought a MacBook Air at the same, or a MacBook, any kind of MacBook at the same time I bought my iPod Touch second generation, and then they came out with a new MacBooks, and then they came out with a new OS and said, sorry, you can only install a line on the latest generation of MacBook Pros. Yeah. There would be a riot, but they have no problem saying, oh, 4.3 is coming out, and by the way, you can't install 4.3 on the previous generation of iPod Touch. Sorry. So, you know, I, I feel like they're, they have no problem leaving these devices. Because the device continues to work fine with the OS that it has. And already I can't do multitasking because I don't have enough memory. That's like a legitimate limitation where yeah. say, look, you just, you just don't have the RAM to do multitasking, so we're turning that thing off. But now I can't even run the OS, period. And then as soon as you get an application that I want in the App Store that requires OS 5 or whatever at some point in the future, I've just got to, you know, hand this one now, down. Yeah, to the now kids. you have a nice little paperweight. Yeah, no, it gets handed down to the kids. But yeah. same thing. Even the kids, this is bothering me with the kids uh, using the iPods. They've got the first-gen one. So many kids' games have 
audio that's integral to the experience. Yeah. Like where they read you words and stuff and you have to, to pick the word that they said that they can't use the first generation touch because it has no speaker. So they end up using mm-hmm. mine. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Spent too much, too long on that. All too right. long complaining about iDevices. All right. We've got more Apps. time though. We got more time. Let's do a, let's do a uh, sponsor break then. It's a good right. time for that. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by CodeConf 2011. Coding is about more than code. Whether it's building a solid community, writing good documentation, or hacking space exploration, just like John here, CodeConf is about improving the software ecosystem through best practices. Come with an open mind and leave a better programmer. There are only 300 seats available. Register today at CodeConf.com. It takes place April 9th and 10th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. I don't know how many have sold out, but uh, they are going fast. That's it. PAX is next week, speaking of conferences. PAX? Yeah. Do you know what that is? The PAX conference? Yes. Is it P-A-X? Yes. I do not know what that is. That's all right. You're an old man. You don't need to know these things. I will be attending PAX next week. Though. Oh, that's in, well, that's because it's in Boston. Yes, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only, I mean, I just, I didn't even know what it was. Okay, I'm looking at this now. PAX. Well, this website doesn't even tell you what it is. This yeah, because you're supposed to already exclusive, know. Very exclusive stuff. It's not yeah, it's all it's very exclusive. Only eighty. Oh, look at this. PAX East is a three-day game festival for tabletop video game and PC gamers. We call it a festival because, in addition to dedicated tournaments and free play areas, we've got nerdcore concerts. Oh, that's why I've heard of it because nerdcore. Yeah, well, you talk to MC Front a lot. Yeah, that's why I've heard of PAX. Now I remember that. Yeah. So I did right. know what it was. I just couldn't access it. It's no more PAX diversion. We got to move on. Next. Um, What's next? Apple strategy tax. Yeah. So this was a blog post I put up this week. Hadn't written anything in a while. And this, this had been stewing for a long time. And when I have an idea stewing for a long time, it's usually because I can't figure out how to formulate the argument in a coherent way. So I just don't write anything. But at a certain point, it just annoys me that it's stuck in my head. And uh, I think, as I said, when uh, I think of the first time I was on the pipeline, most of the reason that I write is to just get the ideas out. If there's an idea or a concept that I don't see out there, but it's in my head, I just want to get it out. Right. And secondary concerns to me are like, how well is it written? Usually very poorly. Uh, you know, I just try, I try to do the best I possibly can, but I just I feel like I'm successful if I got my idea out and communicated it uh, in a manner that other people read and understand what I was saying, whether they agree or not. And the ones I struggle with, like the Apple strategy tax, I feel like maybe I got like a you know C minus because I got the idea out of my head sort of, but I don't think I communicated it very well. So I'm going to make a second run at it here because I think the format of a podcast is a little bit better, especially with someone listening who can tell me they don't understand what I'm saying. Or maybe I'll just end up talking myself in circles and I realize that it's just not a coherent argument no matter what and if people want to brush up on this you hit pause right now and you go to uh, the link that we have in the show notes which is your article over on the uh the fat bits blog over on ars technica they can read that and then they can come back and and listen so go read that sure it's like a thousand words it's not it's not a big thing it should have been half that length if i was a better writer but i'm not a lot of a lot of words not too many a lot of words so 
here's here's how I was trying to come at it in the article. Uh, I would try to come at it come out in the article with an analogy because that's how I thought of it originally. I was thinking about Apple and its decisions about the thirty percent and the publishing stuff, and I was and I sort of free associated it to a podcast that I used to listen to that had uh, Joel Spolsky on it, and he was talking about the strategy tax at Microsoft. He he used to work at Microsoft and tell stories about them kind of with the same way you know your grandparents tell stories about World War II. He tells <laughs> stories about Microsoft. <laughs> They're usually pretty interesting and funny. He's he's a good guy, but uh, his strategy tax thing about Microsoft triggered all these thoughts about Apple, and so that's how I came at it in the article. But I think maybe that was a mistake uh, to walk through my thought process. So I'm going to pull it back and try to come at it from a different angle. Um, there are two parts to this thought I have about Apple. Uh, one is the analogy to Microsoft. Mostly because people have heard of Microsoft and the stra- Microsoft strategy tax is, I thought, a well-known thing, but apparently not. Uh, Joel Spolsky didn't make it up. I don't think he was just talking about it. Um, and the other is the actual point that I should have been making without all the analogy confusion. Um, so I'll start with the, the analogy to Microsoft. So what I was trying to say, uh, well, first let me talk about the Microsoft strategy tax. It's that uh, when Microsoft had a whole bunch, of, whole bunch of different businesses and it would stop one business unit from doing something if it would impinge on sort of the turf of the other business unit. Mm. So the example Joel gave was like that Internet Explorer's uh, DHTML editor couldn't be too good because it might start impinging on words territory. Oh, you're making a, a rich text editor? Well, don't make it too good because we have a rich text editor we call Microsoft Word and we really don't want you to make your product as good as ours. Uh, that That's kind of the dark side of internal competition where, you know, you pit your divisions against each other to have them try to compete. But if one division is more powerful, like if the Word division is more powerful than the Internet Explorer division, they, they make Internet, the Internet Explorer division make their product worse. Um, uh, the other thing is if you have too little internal, well, that, that's too little internal competition where you know, you're stopping competition. You have regulation. You're saying, well, I know you can make your product really awesome, but don't because it makes us look bad. Too much internal competition was where there's no limits, and every division wants to do whatever they can to look the best, and they're all competing with each other. Then you end up with a million divisions going in a hundred different directions at once, and it's like, you know, if you had a bunch of things with ropes attached to Microsoft all pulling in all directions, Microsoft itself stands still. No matter how hard those guys pull, they all pull against each other. There's no actual motion. So then you end up with a lack of focus. Uh, but the the Microsoft strategy tactics basically. At various times, it's been both of those things, either stunting a product because of another product that's deemed more important or everyone going in a million directions at once. And I thought Apple was starting to take the shape of Microsoft in some of those regards in that Microsoft eventually wanted to be in every single business. They wanted to have a word processor, the best a spreadsheet. Uh, it wanted to be online. You know, it wanted to make a game console. It was just... There was no right. business that it seemed that Microsoft didn't want to be in. And Apple used to be much more focused, but now Apple is starting to expand. So Apple used to make personal computers, then they make phones, fine, you're in that phone thing, digital music players before that. That's kind of consumer electronics, but still kind of the same thing. Then they decided they wanted to sell music, but that, you could say, well, that was just part of the digital music player thing. They didn't really, really want to be in that business. But then they decided to sell books and movies and TV, and now you're kind of like a a retailer or a, a republisher or an intermediary there. It just seems like they're expanding outward into realms where, you know, or an av- advertising with iads. They get, don't you get the Microsoft feel? Kind of like that the tentacles of the octopus are coming out. A little bit. Like, well, geez, is there a business that Apple doesn't want to be in? Especially yeah. when they're, they're kind of 
not great at some of them, like iAds. It seemed like Apple was spreading out like Microsoft in too many different directions. Right. Tentacles. Uh, uh, right. And this this might not seem like such a big deal. And how does it really connect to the Apple 30% thing? But I'll, I'll get to it. We'd like to say thanks to MailChimp.com. They make it easy to design email newsletters, share them on social networks, and integrate with web services that uh, you already use. You'll love mixing and matching MailChimp's templates, features, and integrations to fit your needs. You can think of it as your own personal newsletter publishing platform. They just launched a new co-branding feature, too, so you can easily add your own logos, colors, backgrounds, images, and more. You can make it a completely customized experience, and uh, it's all free Tons and tons of uh, great features. Highly recommended, uh, the MailChimp guys. So check them out at MailChimp.com. So here's how I try to jump to my to my conclusion about Apple. Like, what is the deal with this 30% stuff? But the, 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 I should have also, I think, defined my article in terms of what I was not interested in writing about. I was not interested in writing about whether it was mean of Apple to change its rules about the in-app purchases whether it was right morally right whether they're a big stinker uh or even like whether they're they're hurting their developers or helping people or hurting publishers or helping publishers or eliminating middlemen or becoming a middleman any sort of those things that make people angry i feel like that's well covered and this i didn't really have anything to add to that topic and the other thing i wasn't interested in writing about was like the the financials in terms of, well, when they take thirty percent of my app, they're hosting my app, and they're you know providing the download and all this other stuff. But when they do a subscription purchases, uh, you know the, the publisher has to do all of the bookkeeping and host the content and stuff like that. Uh, but they're just sort of acting as a payment processor. So it seems like we should be paying less money for that service because it's less work. That one always bothered me because that's not how economics work economics don't really work based on how much work is it for you to do this and i'll pay you based on that so if it's really easy for you to do something i want to pay you less and if it's really hard for you to do something where easy and hard or however i define them i'll pay you more prices are based on what the market will bear and don't always have any real relation to how easy or hard it is in terms of fixed costs or effort or how much sweat is on your brow or anything like that (laughs) it's just that's just not how that's just not how money works period so it, it may feel unfair, though Apple's doing less work and they're charging the same amount. The, the market will bear what the market will bear. And if enough people feel that way, maybe that means the market won't bear that price. But it's not an argument against charging a price to say, it seems like you're doing less work. Therefore, you shouldn't, make, you shouldn't charge that much. You pick your price, the customers decide whether they want to pay it, and it works itself out in that manner. Um, so all those issues I wasn't interested in discussing. Uh, but the one I was interested in discussing is the, the big picture. What what does Apple's success and failure scenario look like with the, with these changes? You know, the way Apple, the way Apple had set itself up, its strategies. Our strategy is we're going to make these awesome devices. We're going to make a store that goes with them. We're going to uh, you know expand into those businesses. We're going to sell music. We'll sell TV. We'll sell movies. We'll rent movies. We'll rent TV shows. We will sell books. Why the hell not? You know, we'll have our own bookstore and we'll do deals with publishers and we'll, you know, all those different businesses. How has it set itself up? If you said, Apple, you have a, a magic wand and you can tap it and make things exactly how you want them to be, what would it do? And it seemed to me that what Apple had done by this expansion is created a situation where it has 
different businesses that are in competition with each other and they can't all possibly win. So it's sort of like internal competition with Microsoft where when one division tries to make the best browser in the world and they say, we're going to have this awesome rich text editor and the other division says, well, if you make a really awesome rich text editor, you might hurt us because people might use that for their editing with some sort of online you know, thing instead of using Word. So please don't do that. And no matter how they answer, if they say, okay, we won't do that, well, now you've made your browser less good than it could be. And they say, well, forget it, we're doing it anyway. Well, now you're hurting your Microsoft Word business. So what Apple has done is, like, they've got a guy at Apple whose job it is to run the ebooks store, you know, the iBook store, whatever it's called. Right. His job, and his job description is, make that, make that an awesome ebook store. His job description is not, make that a really good ebook store, but don't make it too good because then Amazon will get in. <laughs> right. You know, and we need Amazon because they're on our device or whatever. And on the other hand, it's someone's job to make the iOS platform the most awesome platform that everyone wants to be on, that people make the most money on. And his job is not, well, make, make the iOS platform awesome, but don't make it too much of a level playing field because you're hurting our iBook store because Amazon has better deals yeah. than we do yeah. or they have more content. And so you say to Apple, like, look, what is your success scenario? Though, are you saying that both of those guys should do the most awesome job ever. iOS gets 100% market share. Everybody loves it. Everybody wants to be on it. And also, iBooks just dominates and it is the only bookstore available because everyone else has gone out of business because iBooks is so awesome that everyone just wants to be on iBooks. Is that the success scenario? And the, the analogy I used to Microsoft was, that was kind of Microsoft scenario where they said, we want Windows everywhere, right? Windows in every single PC. And they also said, Word is going to be the number one word processor. Office is going to be the number one Office product. There'll be no other spreadsheets except for Excel. Lotus 1, 2, 3, sorry, bye-bye. No, you're not a contender. Word perfect, out of there. Word is crushing you. Microsoft sort of got their wish. At the peak of their power, you know, in the early 2000s, late 1990s, if you saw a computer, it was a Windows computer, 90%, right? That's yeah. pretty much as dominant as you can get. You know, certified, <laughs> government-certified monopoly, right? And word processors. It was Microsoft Word. They'd already crushed everyone else. Excel had crushed all of its commerce. They dominated everything. So you could say, well, well isn't that fine? Didn't, didn't they win? They did sort of win the browser war, but you know, the company and time marches on. And what actually happened to them was that without any real competition, Windows, Internet Explorer is another good example, Word, Excel, all those things that used to be dominant stagnated without competition. And when the next round of innovations happened, they didn't happen on Windows. They happened on the web or they happened you know, at Apple with iOS or the, even just the iMac or the MP3 player. Microsoft missed all these things. They didn't, you know, the, the next round of innovations didn't happen on its platform. And it's kind of because they were a victim of their own success. They, they had eliminated so much competition that they, were, they, were, they dominated in every possible area that all that was left was Microsoft stuff. And then you had, when it's just Microsoft stuff, then you have the internal competition and all that silly stuff. And, oh, we're not interested in Internet Explorer anymore because we eliminated Netscape, so let's not improve the web because we think the web might be a threat. And let's try to do some sort of half-hearted web stuff, but we don't, we're not really interested in that. People, so people just ignored them, and they did their own thing. And they made Facebook and all these other things, and Microsoft tried to buy Facebook or tried to buy Yahoo or whatever, but they just, you know, Microsoft... It depends on what you consider short-term, long-term. Long-term, they won the desktop war, right? Yeah. But long, long-term, they're not looking so good right now, are they? With no viable mobile platform, no really good tablet products, still trying to catch up with the iPhone 1 or 2 in terms of their you know, mobile things, and mobile seems to be the next big deal. And no one really cares about Word or Excel anymore. And Microsoft still exists, and Bill Gates may, may be retired, but Steve Ballmer's there you know, still trying to win. So that's not much of a success scenario in my mind. 
And I was wondering, how does Apple reconcile this situation where it's got these competing interests? Um, because it's not it's not just that. It's it's kind of also that Apple Apple's internal guys have an unfair advantage. They can't help having an unfair advantage, you know, because they're they're in the mothership. They get access to all the hardware and all the software before everybody else. There's no Chinese wall between the iBook store and anybody else. So right. they already have that advantage. Right. You can't can't help that. That's true of like iMovie or any you know iPhoto or any sort of thing like that. They always have that advantage. But the, now with these financial rules. They've got another advantage. For, are they going to pay 30% to Apple? Sure, they'll pay 30% to Apple because they are Apple. So they don't have to pay that at all. And that's a big, big financial advantage they have. Now, does that mean they made this rule to try to give their internal guys you know, a bigger advantage? Not necessarily, but, but it's an advantage they have. And if that advantage, if these accumulated advantages lead to Apple's internal stuff winning sort of quote-unquote unfairly, you might get into that scenario that looks like success but really isn't where it becomes a monoculture and apple has everything and then everything stagnates uh, and the alternative is not great either so what's the alternative so you know should should they not try as hard should they do that strategy tax where you say oh well you know we don't want to scare amazon away so don't be too good ibooks well now you're intentionally making your products worse uh because you don't want to scare you don't want to hurt your platform business and i don't see a good solution to this i don't see any scenario that isn't absurd in some way and this, I think, is the, the, the tax uh, they've put on themselves by having the strategy of expanding into all these different markets to try to be a platform owner and to also try to build businesses on, on that platform. Everything they do is, is suspect now because you're like, oh, well, I don't like this rule and you're not subject to this rule with your businesses and I feel cheated, so maybe I'm going to be upset and leave the platform. Maybe that's going to hurt your platform because people will leave. Um, the final paragraph uh, of this thing, I, I tried to write what I think is maybe how Apple reconciles this in their mind, because how can you sort of, sleep, not sleep at night, but how can you decide that there is actually a success scenario that is actually good in the long run? Uh, and the only way you can sort of do that, I think, is to be of the attitude that, uh, that the phrase I used was that they start to believe that what's good for Apple is good for America. And that's the, uh, a callback to the old GM phrase of... Uh, What's good for GM is what's good for America is good for GM, or I think I reversed that. But it's basically saying that whatever makes our company stronger, that's good for everybody because we're the best company. Um, and if Apple believes that, if they say it doesn't matter what kind of things we do to uh, uh, quote unquote unfairly make our iBook store the best bookstore, if we end up in a scenario where there's only Apple services on top of an Apple platform, well, that's fine because we make the best services. We make the best platform, and our services on our platform are better than any competitors. And then you can say, well, so I don't mind so much if Netflix eventually has to bail out or, or if uh, Amazon can't have the Kindle on it or whatever. As long as my platform keeps growing and as long as my services keep growing. Obviously, they care if you know uh, Amazon and Netflix leave the platform and customers start leaving because then your platform, the guy whose job it is to make the platform awesome – is not doing a good job. They're going to say, hey, customers are leaving because they want Netflix and Amazon. Your job is to make our platform attractive, blah, blah, blah. But I think Apple has it in their mind that they can have a win scenario where they dominate everything Microsoft style. And that's good for everybody because as it turns out, you know, because they really believe that their services are better than everybody else's. And that kind of thing is not a doomsday scenario. It's actually good. I think that's a bad attitude to have. You're, you're almost saying that, well, worst case scenario, okay, Amazon does leave, but We've got iBooks, and iBooks is look at look at how great iBooks is doing, and look, we just signed on another huge publisher, and 
You know, that's if, okay. If, if Amazon goes, Amazon goes because we, we have, in a very Microsoft way, we've created our own solution for this that's, that we think is the best anyway. So what's your problem? Well, it's not... The thing is, Apple would measure its success in that thing by saying, all right, so uh, Amazon left. What, what happened? The platform guy whose job is to make iOS awesome. Uh, how do you feel about that? Is it hurting our sales? Are people not buying our tablets anymore because of that? If that's the case, then they've got to pull it back and change what they're doing because that means you know the one half, their, their platform side of the business is not doing well. Right? And on the other hand, if the platform side of the business makes talks to Amazon, talks to Netflix, talks to everybody and figures out a deal that everyone can be happy with and those guys stay and continue to thrive, then they go over and talk to the iBooks guy and say, hey, people are buying Amazon eBooks on our iPads like 20 times more than they're buying from iBooks. What's wrong, iBooks guy? Your job is to make iBooks awesome. Why, hmm. aren't, you, why aren't you making your business better? Yeah. You know, so you've got that balance between two things. And Apple's going to go to both of those guys and ask those, those questions. And, but the thing is, Apple has set up a scenario where you say, if both of those guys win, I think it's bad for everybody. I think it, it's bad for Apple. It's bad for customers. It's bad for everybody in the long run. And that that's what I feel like is the that, that's the strategy tax thing of, of painting yourself into a corner by arranging your business in such a way that it's impossible for you to get a clean win. You know, and Microsoft did that with and suffered from those results. And I think Apple has now created a situation where it's really hard for it to just get that super duper clean win. You know, it so was easier it, when it was just music, like with the iPod. Well, fine. iTunes is dominance. iPod, iPad, iPod is dominant music player. We've got the store, the player, everybody's happy. Um, and they can say, well, we really were the best store. There was no other better stores. There was no other better music players. So the fact that we dominate, that's good for Apple. It's good for consumers. It's good for everybody. But as Apple expands into more and more businesses, the odds of Apple being the very best bookstore, the very best video store, the very best movie store, the very best online service with mobile me, you know, whatever else they try, the very best syncing service, the very best email, the very best everything, Apple's not going to be the best at all of those. Just like Microsoft wasn't the best at everything that it did. Now, Microsoft clearly, though, thought that it was and would be able to be, and I still think they think that, that they are the best at those things. Do you think Apple thinks that they are or will be? Well, so for some of them, in both cases, you, you know, the numbers don't lie. Microsoft can tell itself it's the best online service all at once, but its online division loses money hand over fist. MSN never defeated AOL, and then AOL went away. MSN isn't even you know, competing with, with Google now. It's just a perennial loser. Uh, and with Apple, I don't see how they can look at MobileMe and say, you know, we've got the best. We're winners here. Like Google is stomping all over everybody in that space. Uh, so maybe they think they could make the best service, but they certainly haven't yet. And in Microsoft's case, you know, how many years do you have to keep going on these money-losing ventures before you realize this appears not to be our strength and we're, not, we're just not doing well in it? Well, then let, let's, look at, let's look at just the iOS sphere as a whole. We're talking about iPhone, iPad, and all of the services and products and things that go along with that from the App Store to the iTunes to everything. If you look at that, and it's very clear that today, that, that's what Apple's about today. In 2011, that's, that's what Apple's about. They're about iOS and iOS devices and that, that entire ecosystem. They believe they're the best at that, for sure. And that's where they're exerting what you're sort of identifying as a Microsoft is, is sort of control. That's where, they're, that's where they're throwing their weight around. 
well, because there is, there is no experience. There is no unified experience of operating system, hardware device, and store. Those three things don't exist anywhere else in the whole world for anything the way that they do for Apple and iOS. I think that's a clear strength for them, but that's just the platform guy's job. Like, build an awesome platform, make awesome hardware devices, make a store that goes with it, make a development environment, you know, make it aware. They've made a great platform that just crushes everybody else. That's why people keep buying these things and people are more wary of the the Android stuff because those guys seem fly by night. Like, Right. How long are you going to run your store? Are you going to send me updates? I don't know what the ecosystem is like. You know, how many apps do you have? Developers making money on your platform, blah, blah, blah. Apple's got that nailed. The problem comes when they start saying, and you know what? We've got this awesome platform. I bet we could run a bookstore on top of that. Right. Like, and, and now they're in competition with someone who is a customer of the platform guy. The platform guy is saying, yeah, Amazon, make your app. You'll make lots of money. Yeah, the daily, you got to put your stuff on here. You'll make lots of money. We got lots of credit card numbers. It's awesome. Everybody, bring your apps over to iOS. And don't mind those Apple guys next to you who are sitting in the other uh, other side of the building from me who are competing with you. Don't, don't worry about them. Just You just do the best you can. And yeah, all right, so you have to pay us 30%, but we'll make them pay us 30% too. And don't... It's a, it gets to be a little bit... Of, that's when they went a step too far. And I think they thought they could do it because they sort of had to do it with the music business because nobody was doing... You know, you, you can't do the iPod without the iTunes Music Store. They did do the iPod without the iTunes Music Store, but at a certain point, you're like, look, the labels don't get it. This digital music revolution is not happening on its own. We've got to make it happen. But the case with uh, things like iBooks or even some of the movie stuff, whatever, they're, they're Johnny-come-latelys. Amazon was well ahead on the ebook curve there and you know ebooks have been stewing for years and years before that a- apple decided to come in later to say look why the hell not you know why why shouldn't we be in that business i bet we can make a cool book reader i bet we could have a good bookstore we can make deals with publishers uh you know and amazon previously had been you know gouging the publishers a little bit we can make them better deals we'll get our foot in the door we'll do this ebook business that's all well and good, and it's good to like you know give Amazon some competitive pressure and everything. The problem comes when you're also the owner of the platform. Now you've set yourself up in sort of this Kobayashi Rimuru no-win scenario <laughs> with your own business by your own choice. It's not you know, and people get confused and they say, "Well, Amazon was being so mean and terrible, and it's good that Apple's competing with them." Yes, it's good that Apple's competing with them. It's just bad that Apple's also the platform owner, and. That's the, that's what Apple has done to itself here. It's it's made. Is this unfixable? And then, well, that, that's that's why when I wrote the thing, I was just trying to describe a situation and not offer solutions. Mostly because I don't have a good solution. The good solution is to go in a time machine, go back in time, and don't enter the businesses that give you self conflicts of interest. <laughs> right. That's, that's the. But you can't do that. So at this point, what do you do? I don't know. Obviously, you you can't tell the iBooks guy to you know to give 30 percent to apple or you can't like why would you hobble them you don't want you know what that's the, the the exact microsoft strategy tax you don't want to tell your teams don't compete too hard like uh you know what's the guy's name from the incredibles and the race at the end oh uh, yeah the yeah boy. The, the boy and he, who can run as fast run as very he fast. Could possibly second place want. just by a little bit not too fast slower yeah, yeah, no yeah. faster you, you can't do that that's just not the way around the business that's not the way apple ever runs a business um but on the other hand if you were to pull out of those businesses, that makes you seem less trustworthy. Like I spent all this money on iBooks, and now iBook store is closing, and it's yeah. Dash, it's, you're talking about dash. This, dash, yes. And I think this is the this is the seven levels up, root 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 problem 
that underlies all this gnashing about the in-app purchases and the 30% and everything else in the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store and everything else is, the, is this situation. And I haven't seen people talking about it, but when I was puzzling over in my mind, this, this is what I kept coming back to, that it's, that it's inherently unwinnable in any clean way. And I worry about the sort of Microsoft monoculture dystopia as the success scenario. The failure scenarios are really easy. The failure scenarios are everyone leaves the iOS platform because Amazon and Netflix leave. Right? Or the failure scenario is uh, Apple changes the rule to make uh, Amazon and Netflix happy, but the iBook store sucks and it just withers and dies. You know, there's lots of scenarios in which Apple's businesses are clear failures and they, they, they screw up. You know, Android ends up winning because Apple just doesn't manage their businesses in the right way. But like I said, even the success scenario is not too hot. So that's my Apple strategy. It's kind of depressing. It is depressing. I, I, I think people sense it and then it manifests, that depression manifests in many different ways. Marco had a good post about uh, the unfairness manifesting and people complaining about the 30% because their business has been ruined by it or whatever. But everyone expresses their displeasure in a different way. And I really have no skin in this game. Uh, so I, I don't have those particular concerns about a particular rule or a particular change. But looking at Apple overall, I that's more explain to, Explain to me, though, how this is really bad for the consumer, the user of Apple's products. Yeah, it's, it's bad for the consumer because for the same way, it was bad for the consumer for Microsoft to win in the way that it did. And that, you know, innovation stopped for a period before someone else could take over. So Internet Explorer stagnated because Microsoft had no motivation to change it, but it was the dominant web browser. So the web was crappier than it had to be for a long, long time. And as a consumer, you experienced that crappier web on using Internet Explorer 6 for umpteen years. And word processors and spreadsheets. Word and Excel are fiendishly difficult and complicated, and many people might have better, more innovative ideas for word processors and spreadsheets. But they never got off the ground. They never even became... You know, a glimmer in anyone's eye because for that long, dark period, Microsoft Word and Excel dominated everything. And no matter how good your idea was, you could not get past that because they were the platform owner. They dominated. It was a monoculture. That's bad for everybody. And it's the worst kind of bad because if you ask somebody, you know, if they don't like it, they'll say, Word is fine. I love Word. I understand Word. It's great. You don't know what you're missing. Regular people don't know what they're missing. But it's bad for consumers, not in a way that they will be unhappy, but in a way that they will be missing out on things that they could have had. And it took a long time for a whole other round of innovators to come from behind and start this new thing that Microsoft is now not participating in. So that's why it's bad for Microsoft, because they just, they just missed out. The internet came past them. Apple came past them on the mobile platform. Everybody passed them by while they were sitting there defending their turf on the desktop that no one cares about anymore. Depressing. It's my job. I thought your job was just to criticize things, and now you're de- depressing this is, people. This is a criticism. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. Usually, when you criticize something, you're presenting, you're saying, "This is what's wrong," and here, this would be great. Yeah, and in this situation, you've sort of painted uh, painted Apple into a corner. I didn't paint Apple into a corner. I didn't make these decisions. <laughs> you know, that's. I remember the first time I really got sort of angry and depressed about the App Store stuff. This was way back when when they announced the you know iPhone was going to have real apps, and everyone cheered. Um, and I was I was rooting for that. I did this little video on my blog at one point where, as soon as Apple announced that uh, that the that the iPhone ran Mac OS X, every developer is just like, "Oh my God, it runs Mac OS X! I know that it's like Jurassic Park. This is a Unix system. I know this. <laughs> I I write Mac OS X. I can write applications for this phone." And people right. were just it's about it because it was just an amazing phone, and who wouldn't want to write apps for it? And then they eventually they let everybody write apps for it, and after that web thing went by, 
Uh, and people are like, this is awesome. They said, and we're going to approve your apps and blah, blah, blah. And people are like, ugh. Seems kind of ghetto, 70-30 spit, but whatever, split, but whatever. I want to write apps for this phone. And people were optimistic. They're like, well, they're just going to make sure it doesn't crash and it's not malware and 30% fine, whatever. It's more than I'm paying to my payment processor and stuff now, but they're going to host the files and I'm going to get awesome exposure. And there's going to be, there was the gold rush and everybody loved it. But the first time that I flipped out was not when they said 70-30 split, not when they said no sideloading applications, no, you know, anything like that, because I was willing to go with that still. It, it was... And not when they rejected an application for porn or whatever, because I, I felt like that was part of the, you know, the deal that they were presenting to everybody. It's the first time they rejected somebody for uh, an app that duplicates existing functionality. So I was like, all right, that's it. F them. Game <laughs> over. Because now, you, you know, that is, that is 100% like it became clear what they were going to do. They were not going to just protect from malware. They were not going to just, they were going to say, yeah, we really wouldn't like you not to compete with our applications. This is confusing for the customers. And in some respects, it is confusing, but that's, that's that conflict of interest. You know, in that meeting, what they have when they say, well, we, we really don't want this music player because it seems too much like iTunes, or we'd rather have people do podcasts only through iTunes, or we'd rather have only iTunes have this feature, or don't use a phone dialer because they're confused about which phone dialer to phone. All of the perfectly rational, legitimate reasons that could be brought up in that meeting are given, I feel like, are given slightly higher weight in the minds of people listening to them because they know it's like it's their team that's going to get the advantage, mm-hmm. you know, the internal yeah. app. And they're only human. You can't help that. No matter how much you say, we have to be really careful because we don't want to seem like we're on fire to our apps, you just cannot help it. It's just human nature that every argument, every legitimate argument for, you know, for the reasons this is actually bad for consumers and really it's better for consumers if they, if they have this, that. Those are, those are all 100% true. But you have to be just so careful. It's just almost impossible to give them the correct amount of weight uh, to not overweigh them, uh, to, to not, you know, say, just go over on that side and say, yes, I believe it. These, all these arguments are great. I, I believe that that's right and we should do this. It's for the consumers. It's not for us. It's for the consumers. Sometimes they're right, but a lot of times they're not. Um, that human nature combined with the situation in which they put themselves with their business ventures just makes this a really dangerous scenario for them. And uh, the more I think about it during this podcast, it occurred to me that perhaps the best scenario for everyone involved is for iBooks and stuff like that to be failures. For, the, for Apple to make sure everyone else stays happy, for the platform team to do what it can to make the iOS platform strong, but for that poor iBook guy who's in charge of making iBooks awesome to lose his job. Because he just he ends up not being able to compete with Amazon. People choose Amazon over iBooks. People just don't like the iBooks reader. They don't like anything about it. And he fails and he gets fired and that division withers and dies. That may actually be the best possible scenario. Because then you can't say, well, Apple wasn't trustworthy. I say, well, iBooks lost in the market and, and it went away sort of naturally. It died a natural death. Uh, so I don't lose faith in Apple that much, except maybe next time Apple expands into a new business, I'll feel less excited about buying stuff from it. And I think that would actually be good too, because that would be consumers being trained not to allow Apple to expand its tentacles more than it should. Now, what if they just got rid of the 30% thing? Or lowered That's- it? I think that's that's like a, a third level symptom of this, you know. No, but that, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, that would appease like a lot them. of companies? Wouldn't that appease yeah, a lot that would of be people? The scenario where saying, you know, where, where they decide the platform guy decides, look, we, this is untenable. Uh, I we can't keep these rules like this because all of our important partners are cranky about it, and we really have to we have to work something out. Because if we don't, our customers will stop leaving. We're, we're hurting our customers. We're hurting our business. We have to change this, uh, and and they do change it. And they roll it back and they, or they work out some deals or they figure out something that works and, and the customers stay happy and the partners stay happy. But 
that's necessarily going to hurt iBooks more than it would if those customers had left. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and they they may say, well, it's you know they have priorities. They say it's much more important for our platform to be a success than for iBooks to be a success. I keep using iBooks, but it could be any of these businesses. You know, well, I think I, iBooks is an apt an apt one to use though. Yeah, or like movie rentals. Like even though they have like Netflix on the Apple TV, it's clear that Apple's also competing with Netflix because Netflix has a subscription service, but Apple just rents, and they're all competing for you know how you want to watch this TV show. Uh, it, that and that conflict is not going away, but it could be that Apple solve this by just always prioritizing the platform over over the you know the things that might help its own partners uh, that, that's the worst thing about this is if you ask them you say we're not doing any of these things to try to help ibooks and i i think that's probably true that they're not doing these as a nefarious plot to make their own products better it just happens to do that and that's the that's the insidious thing about it uh and if they don't and the thing about it is if they don't do it if they you know if they say well we're not going to do this it's like well isn't apple not doing something that would have helped iBooks, it's it's just the best. I would not want to be in these meetings. <laughs> hmm. Is that depressing enough for you? Yeah, it's uh, pretty depressing overall, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, so th- that's my argument. People disagree with various ones of my premises. Uh, we'll just see how it plays out. I, I think if, we, if I had to guess how it would play out, I think Apple will prioritize the platform over any of its businesses that are on it. Um, and I think some of its businesses that are on it will, if not fail, but then at least be less successful. Like MobileMe is a good example. MobileMe has been at various times prioritized, not prioritized, whatever. But the bottom line is it's not, you can't say it's a, it's a blockbuster success. They charge money. Google doesn't. They haven't been able to overcome that. They don't want MobileMe to be a loss leader so far. MobileMe is supposed to at least break even or make a little bit of money. But it's, it just sits there. <laughs> you know? Everybody in the chat room is pretty depressed now, too. Well, they should be. They should be enthusiastic about the idea that MobileMe has been this crappy little thing for so many years. Even Apple TV was kind of crappy for, for uh, many years before they figured out how to sell more of them by lowering the price. But uh, it shows that Apple will, seems to, in general favor the the platform and the product over its businesses that it tries to build on them and i think that's a healthier attitude to have but it it does it is basically a manifestation of a strategy tax that these other services have to you know you're doing things that hurt other of your own businesses because you've got businesses that are in conflict with each other no But uh, what Gruber wrote about when he linked to my article, he said it was a subtle argument. I think that was his nice way of saying I did a bad job communicating it. But I think it is. <laughs> I, th- I think it is complicated. It's complicated it's enough. It's complicated. That I have trouble, it, yeah, it is. I have trouble articulating it, but I feel it. You know what I mean? I feel yeah, yeah. this issue, and I just can't get the words out to explain what it is. So I hope people understand it. If you don't, I f- I do think all of the words to formulate my argument are in what I wrote, and I think I actually have a little bit clearer explanation in a reply to the hacker, Hacker's News thread on this topic. If you're a nerd and can find Hacker's News and can find uh, my comments on it, maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in there. But really grasping what I'm getting at uh, may be difficult due to my inability to express well, I think, it. So. I think you've expressed it pretty well here. All right, we're a little over today, but it wasn't so yeah, bad. Not so bad. Good Friday, though. Yeah. Good Friday conversation, Phil. 
you know, feel all depressed and bummed out going into the weekend. Why even bother to do any more work today? Just sit and think about this. I already thought about this. Everyone else is starting to think about it. <laughs> well, uh, well, have a good one. We'll be back next week at noon on Friday. Yes, we will. Oh, wait. Actually, next week is PAX. We're going to talk about that. Oh, boy. Is that Friday? Yeah, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll oh, work boy. something. What are, you gonna, what are we going to do? We'll work something. We can't leave the people hanging. Well, we have a we have a schedule page that people should go look at now. Five by five TV slash schedule, or as you would say, schedule. I would not say that. You would schedule, and uh, you can go there and you can subscribe with iCal if you want, or there's a feed, and just, or you could just look at it, and it will tell you when we're doing the shows, and we're doing our best to keep that up to date. So go there and check that out. It's very nice, very nice looking calendar. Thanks to CodeConf.com, MailChimp.com, and uh, Syracuse.com. I got my MailChimp shirt. You did. How do you like it? Lightweight. It's good for summer. It's MailChimpy. Yeah, very MailChimpy. Gave a bunch of those away. So uh, thanks to them. And uh, and that's it. So we will be back sometime next week. Tune into the calendar, the the schedule, for details. Why do you say it like that? I do not. Okay. Have a good week. You too.